Hello and welcome to the Macrofab Engineering Podcast. We're your hosts, Parker Doman and Stephen Craig. This is episode 76. Hey listeners, if you enjoyed the Macfab Engineering Podcast, please let others know about us. Tell your coworkers, your friends, your family, loved ones, and share it on social media at Macrofab or follow us on Facebook. Our Instagram is Macrofab Inc. And I would like to thank you, our listener, or if there's multiple people listening to the same set of speaker listeners, um, for downloading our show. If you're not subscribed to the podcast, uh, go and click the subscribe button, um, and that way you can get the, you know, show right when it comes out on Friday at eleven the o'clock latest Central. Episodes. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> if you're on iTunes, please take some time to submit a quick review. It helps the show stay viable. Uh, on iTunes and I think that's helps. visible. Maybe, maybe <laughs> this is the first time that we actually do an edit on this thing. <laughs> no, we're not doing that. No, no edit. Okay, we're going to be visible on iTunes if you guys do a review for us. Please <laughs> review us on iTunes Act, and, uh, and help li- new listeners find is, us. Is there actually any reviews on iTunes? <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, you so, will yeah, be we the have, first we, one. We may have one review on iTunes. Please go and, and, and click, review us. Click five stars. And type in first. Yeah. And hit submit. First. <laughs> um, so, uh, yeah, at some point during the show, we're going to have a code word. Uh, if if you email us this code word and your address, we'll send some cool swag your way. The email address is podcast at macrofab.com. Yep. <laughs> Great. We got that done. <laughs> <laughs> Finally. <laughs> um, so we have an update for a previous podcast. The and not XOR guys that did the um, DEF CON 25, uh, the Bender on a Bender. Yeah, Bender on a Bender, DEFCON badge. Yep. Um, they had a really cool Hackaday article detailing the features of the badge. and Well, only some of the features. Only some of the features that are they were allowed to show. Right. And um, when this episode comes out a little bit later um, on, was it, it'd be July the 14th, around 11 o'clock central time, this, when this episode comes out, they will be doing a hack chat with Hackaday. Um, so go check that out. Yeah, that'll be cool, talking about all those all those cool badges. Yes. lots of lots, There's a lot of badges out there. Yeah, there's a ton, and we built a bunch of them. Yeah. We, <laughs> <laughs> and programmed a bunch of them. A bunch of them, of them yeah. A whole bunch. So, yeah, the, the, uh, the Bender on a Bender badge is, is uh, really cool, and that was cool to see... Hackaday do an article on it. I'm I'm really interested to see what uh, what's going to come of that because we had them on as a guest a few episodes back mm-hmm. and they kind of released a little bit of information. There's a little bit more. I'm curious to see how deep this badge goes. Yeah. Well, uh, how I'm, deep is the bender pole? Yeah, yeah. And Parker and I started talking about like if we made our own badge, like what are some secrets that we could add into it. Yeah. So that might be something we do in the future. Yeah. For some fun. So last week. We had Ben and Chris on. Right. And we talked a little bit about the Raspberry Pi compute module LVDS test board mm-hmm. and how that all worked. Yeah. I still haven't received my six-pack of beer from uh, from Steven yet. I, it, it's coming. I just have to pick. I have to find the worst possible beer that I can buy for you and get you that so I can fulfill my part. <laughs> <laughs> I think I've selected uh, a good candidate. Okay. Um, so... Having that done, basically, um, that hardware done, I started uh, basically grafting it onto the current PinHEC system. Mm-hmm. So PinHEC Rev 8 is in full swing at the moment. 
Um, so hopefully in the next month, I get that built and prototyped out, and that all works. That's that board has a lot going on, yes. and you're taking the heart and soul out of it and putting a no, whole brand one new of the heart and soul. Well, okay, yeah. So you, you're right. You're right. The <laughs> the AV heart and soul, right? Yeah, yeah. You're taking that part out of it, and you're slapping in a much bigger heart and soul into yes. it. So that's got to take a while, right? Yeah, it's well routing wise, it won't be too bad. Yeah, it's because it's not actually a lot of, you know, signals to route. It's mainly making sure that the power is going to be clean enough for that Raspberry Pi three. Well, I mean, does the Raspberry Pi, like, how uh, do you know how much ripple it can withstand? Well, it's actually a you you basically are supplying the actual BGA chip directly with the voltage. Oh, it's got to have some bypass caps on there, right? It doesn't really have too many bypass caps. <laughs> really? It only has enough for just the local area. Okay. So you have to make sure you give it clean power. Oh, I don't okay. know if there is a ripple requirement, though, but I made sure to give it pretty clean power. And it seems you know, with those, with those little boards, I haven't seen many ripple requirements. They're kind of just like, eh, give it some power. Give, you know? give it, you know, 1.8 volts and it'd be happy. Okay, so you got to stack some caps up right where it connects to the... Yes. Uh, yeah, yeah. To the your board. Cool. Yeah. Well, I was going to put actually it's going to have its own basically sub power circuitry that will feed off the 12 volt line. Oh, a separate regulator just for it. Yeah. Oh, that's a good idea. Yeah. yeah. That way it's more localized and and it'll have its own separate return path for ground. Yep. Ah, uh, okay. Yeah, yeah, well that that's that's probably the best way to guarantee that that part works. Right. Yeah. Right. And there's nothing really on further on that side of the board that's like super critical that it's good. Does the compute like module shift- run on 5 volt? 5, 2.5, 3.3, and 1.8 volts. Okay, yeah, I think you mentioned that last week, but uh, you have to give it every single one of those? Yes. Oh, so you have to make a string of regulators oh, yeah, yeah, that yeah. all feeds it. Yeah. Okay, okay. And so we, I really over... That's how they get the cost down. You have to give it all the power. <laughs> yeah, you have to give it all okay, the power. Okay, that's how... Yeah, uh, on my... My board, I basically said, like, I'd put one family of LDO mm-hmm. and just, like, said, Bought okay. every single one. Yeah, and all, all the ones in the spectrum. Yeah. Well, that way I was, you know, all had to make one footprint. And so for a prototype, yeah. that works. Yeah. Because um, you don't really have to do a lot of cost savings for a prototype or for um, not really a prototype. It's more of a um, proof of concept for the hardware. Mm-hmm. But for the Penheck board, you know, every, you know, dollar counts if we can knock it off. And sure. so um, on that, that board, I actually put jumpers that the um, you can unplug that breaks the power line. Mm-hmm. And so you can put your meter on it and read how much amperage that line is pulling. Mm-hmm. And so I can spec each regulator for that power plus a margin a bit. Yeah, I got you. Actually, that's a good question for, for our listeners is, because I don't know it, is... How much over spec should you spec your LDO for? In terms of its maximum. Yeah, so let's say your average power consumption is a hundred, you know, milliamps at three point three volts. Do you go hundred and twenty five milliamps is what you need your LDO for, or do you do double or Ah, uh, okay, so he, here's uh I can answer at least a part of that. Okay. So uh let's okay, let's just say you have five volts coming in and it's you're spitting out three three. Yep. At 100 milliamps. So subtract the two, and that's how much that the regulator has to burn. Yep. Right? So you got, what is that, 1.7 yep. volts? Um, so 1.7 at 100 milliamps, that's how much 
power, it's going to burn as just heat. Yep. So what you have to do is then calculate what is the temperature rise of the junction in yeah. the regulator, basically. Well, that uh, sets your package size. Right. And that will determine your package size, which will then determine your heat sink size. And that is the point where you have to make the judgment call on what temperature rise you are comfortable with. Oh, I'm talking about, like, just the amperage rating of the LDO. Well, okay, so what is the... Okay, so the, is, it, is it 100 milliamps? So let's just say draw? it's 100 milliamps. Like, do you need to spec 150? Is that, like... Or can you spec 100? Well, okay, it all depends on, on how uh, stringent you want to be with it. Does the Raspberry Pi compute module pull a constant amount of power, or is it Or varied? spikes, or, or yeah. yeah. Well, spikes are one thing, uh, but is it... You know, is there a situation where, for some period of time, it's going to demand two hundred, yeah, uh, or something? Uh, so it depends on on your uh, however your design works. In that case, I would think that the Raspberry Pi is pretty fixed with its current demand, unless you hook it up to something that asks for more. Um, not really. It's actually really good at throttling its processor. Yeah, and so it actually doesn't take too much power when it's just sitting there. Yeah, but when you like decide to compile some code on it, it 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 cranks up pretty good it'll rip yeah so uh actually kind of on a side note i found something interesting i don't probably because i don't know too much about the raspberry pi but i have raspberry pis working for my scanners on our manufacturing floor uh barcode scanners uh we use raspberry pis to report back to our system because it just works out well and they were cheap um However, in the specifications for the Raspberry Pi, I think it, it says something like the USBs can supply 100 milliamps of current tops. Yeah. So I, uh, the scanners I plug into these Raspberry Pis operate at 400 milliamps. So I was thinking that I needed external power for my scanners. But I just said, you know, screw it. And I plugged a scanner right into the Raspberry Pi, and it works fine. It's taking 400 milliamps through the USB ports on a Raspberry Pi, and it's been doing that for months now it might so. be 100 milliamps per port up to a certain maximum and you're just pulling the maximum through one port you know what well yeah you're right there's, like there's four, four. Yeah. there's four and i'm only using one yeah so that you know that might be it uh it might be fused for a little bit over 400 total yeah. that makes sense but it, but i think i i read the i read somewhere in some kind of requirements document that it was per port, it was 100. Hmm. I don't know, whatever. What uh, it, I, I did the empirical thing where I just plugged it in and it worked, so I said, uh, whatever, screw it. <laughs> I don't need <laughs> external power. So, And then um, two weeks ago, I was talking about the Python OpenCV stuff, mm -hmm. and I finally got phase zero of our, like, one of the longest-running, like, projects we've had on the show, the same machine. I, okay, it's the same machine goes way before this. Show way before too. the show, yeah. It goes so far back that in my interview to get a job at Macrofab, <laughs> I talked with Parker and Chris about designing this. So, yes. <laughs> so, what have you accomplished now, Parker? So right now, I, I basically had I had taught myself Python, yeah. OpenCV, um, and. 3D printed up a chassis, put a webcam on it, and it looks down at a board. Right. And so you put a board in it. It takes a picture. Mm -hmm. It does lens correction because it's all, like, you know, fish-eyed. Right. 
and then it's automatically it basically loads up our our macrofab api pulls all the information down and then crops the parts out and that all works right it's so, so exciting so you uh, the 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 interface on on our system website mm-hmm. you go and you see your board and it, and it has an xyrs file in there that has the xy location yeah, the of each part yeah. so you can put a board under your camera and it will take a picture of the whole board but then crop out based off of the information on our website a picture of each component yes that is awesome yeah and uh, today was like the was the was it the red letter day yeah, something like that. Something like that. Whatever that means. <laughs> Sounds like it should be something that we should be doing. Yeah, right. Or saying. So originally this device was supposed to be, well, not supposed to be. There's been talk in the past about this being on a on an XY gantry, like a CNC, yep. where it would just drive a camera over a part, take a picture based off of its XYRS data. But in your case, you're just taking a wide field image yep. and then cropping it based off of each component. Yeah. The, the problem with... Um, uh, driving the camera around to each part, what we found out is you need a really, really Haas gantry system to move a camera fast enough so that would work. Well, so it's viable. Yes. And so this is faster, basically, because it's just software chopping the image up. Now, you get into issues where, like, if the board, like, towards the like left side of the board or towards the edges, like, you start seeing more of the side of the part than the top of the part. Yeah. Because yeah. of how the parallaxing issues of the lens that happens. Right. Um, so we're probably going to move to a kind of a gantry system where basically the camera can, because right now it only does one board, but we want to be able to take a picture of a whole panel. Right. And so you'll pop the panel in and the gantry will move the camera over one PCB, take the picture of the whole PCB. And take just the best moving. picture it can of that yeah, one. Yeah, and basically just stitch it all together in right. in the software. And, and so the kind of one of the original goals of this project was for it to be kind of a QC check thing. Yes. Where an operator, instead of having something under a microscope, which we'll still do for, for certain situations, but, but an operator can look at images on a, on a, uh, on a computer screen and, and do quality control based off of those kinds of images. Yep. Uh, and if they need a microscope to look further into things. So it's nifty. It's yeah. really cool. And so the next step is to... Basically, um, up the camera quality to something that's not, you know, a potato. <laughs> <laughs> well, the camera quality determines what well, there's a lot of things that determine uh, the, the, the quality of it. But I mean, we need to be able to look at 0402 components and even yeah. smaller. Yeah, 0201. 0201. Uh, and with enough resolution that we can inspect the solder joints on an 0201 from an image taken inches above the board. Yes. So it's got to be a badass camera. Yeah. Um, so I've been looking at some, and I'll have more information about that on the next podcast. So. Awesome. And if anyone out there has any recommendations for basically a setup that's like this, I'm looking at like you know, 15, 16 megapixel USB cameras to do this. Right. Yeah. Right. So yep. and and better is better. Let's yes. put it that yeah. way. So yeah, get a get a. I mean, in other words, like we're willing to invest in a good camera. Yeah. At this point. Yeah. The I'm thinking about making like the view area around two inches by two inches, okay. and then just have that go across the whole panel. What does it do? Okay, I just wanted to make sure. Yeah. 
That noise, that's noise only. And you know too. what? Everyone's going to know what that means. Yeah. <laughs> so, Steven, what have you been doing? A uh, handful of things. Always doing a bunch of random crap. Uh, so I got a notification the other day that my uh, my synthesizer parts finally shipped uh, after ordering them like a month ago. Uh, but it was one of those things where it's an obsolete chip. I ordered from a, from a place that says they had it. They didn't have it, so they had to buy it from somewhere, probably eBay. <laughs> <laughs> or you could have gone to eBay directly. And got it. Yeah, no, I could have gone to eBay, but they the chip they had they said they had stock, and it was ninety four cents a chip. Uh, I guarantee you, you, I bought five. Okay. And with shipping, it came out to $9. I guarantee you, they had to go to eBay and pay like $9 per chip to fulfill their order. So, hey, whatever. They're the ones that said that they had quantity in stock. So, regardless, that'll be. That was like an old listing that they just never removed off their website. Probably because they're like the only person on earth who has that. And they were like, yeah, we got plenty in stock. Well, I mean, I guess they shot themselves in the foot there. <laughs> uh, and, and, you know, if they sent me an email and were, like, saying, oh, sorry, we don't have this in stock. Can we cancel your order? I probably would have been like, yeah, sure, I'll just go buy it off of eBay. But they, they were literally like, no, we'll go get it for you. I was like, okay, fine. <laughs> I'm okay with this. Although the problem is I have no idea where they're getting it from. So see, it the, could just be garbage see, stock. The, they know the Craig name. Oh, that's it. And yeah. sound. Yeah, right. They don't want me to blast them on. Yeah, because I haven't said who I ordered it from. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. So, yeah, that, that'll that be coming in soon, and I can get back to making a, the filter. Yeah. Um, so, actually, I, I was working on the filter the other day just getting jumpers on my board. Um so I, I, you know, I bought, well, not bought, I grabbed from Macrofab one of the cases of, um, you know, everyone has them, those jumper oh, kits for breadboards. For breadboards. Yeah. Uh, and, and I like it because I have a whole bunch of different jumpers on the board that I'm working on. Um, and so it's like rainbow colored with all these jumpers all over it. It's pretty cool. But um, I've, been, uh, I've been doing these on Vero board or strip board. You know, I've never used those before. You haven't? Okay, so I was going to ask you that. I've built a bunch of strip board stuff. I've um, only done like the the just the single point I and then the wired those. wire. I hate those. I did it all the time. It uh, well, okay, I've done a bunch too. I just can't stand having to like either try to drag solder from point to point or you have to cut like a, a strip of wire and then kind of like oh, solder in a line. I just did I took the, like the old style um um hard drive cable. Yeah. And then um that's you know that's actually an interesting thing is in the future hackers won't have hard drive cables to make inexpensive like hookup wire yeah because SATA SATA cable is terrible for that kind of stuff oh it's really yeah it's really thin and yeah. wouldn't carry anything yeah um, so yeah I just take like old style hard drive cable and make jumpers that like way. old like uh, old like flex scuzzy drive stuff yeah yeah hell yeah well ide is what it's called oh okay my um bad. yeah i should take a picture i think i've got a dev board my first dev board i ever built with the parallax propeller with a huge ID no no it actually looks it. really good because it's, it's made out of the perf board yeah uh single single you know dot perf board and then i put it on a aluminum backer and so it looks really nice but if you opened it up It'd be like a rat's nest. <laughs> of course, yeah. <laughs> well, that's the whole point. Make it look nice on the outside. It can be ugly as hell on the inside, right? <laughs> oh, yeah. But, okay, so so Vera board. Mm-hmm. Uh, for those who don't know, it's basically, think of a breadboard 
that has uh, um, uh, an array of holes in it that are 0.1 inch apart from each other. And the, the strips running horizontally are all connected together. Yep. Vertically, they're not connected. All you to, to create a circuit, you place components in, in the Vero board and on the back side of the board, the copper clad side, you just run a drill bit on these uh, you know, horizontally connected strips and you break the traces to make connection points. It's incredibly simple, it's really fast, and it ends up making uh, uh, prototyping, it's kind of like the, 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 the logical step for prototyping. Uh, you start off with a breadboard, then you take the breadboard, you go to something like VeroBoard. Because VeroBoard is a simulation of the breadboard in terms of the layout. Yeah, uh, effectively. And then after VeroBoard, you go to an actual PCB. But VeroBoard, in most cases, is enough by itself to get simple circuits done. Like the, the filter I'm doing, uh, it, it didn't really warrant going and making a whole PCB for it. Um, however, if I did go make a PCB for it, I would have had it in time. By yeah, when yeah the parts you would have already been built. Yeah, it would have already been. Yeah, it would have been <laughs> built. So in this case, I was trying to do it to make it faster, but waiting on parts was kind of goofy. Regardless, I've built a bunch of audio circuits on Vero boards, and they're fun. And um, I've I bought some the other day from a local electronic store and Ace. Uh, no. Or EPO. I you know what I don't remember exactly where it was from. Or fries. There's you, only three places I think you can In other buy. words, I had some. Because Radio Shack day. doesn't exist anymore. Uh, but they were not fantastic quality, and, and the copper was kind of crappy, and they were sort of already corroded by the time I got them. And Is I, that a sign that, that PCB hackers don't buy stuff anymore? Maybe. Or even just buy stuff online and Amazon. Well, that's now. just the thing. I was just about to say, I bought Marrowboard <laughs> off of Mauser, and it's awesome quality. Yeah. It's super good. Uh, and it's like real thick copper. And the thing is, the, the stuff I bought locally, the holes were not centered on the traces and stuff. And uh, and they were all like, they felt like different sizes. On top of that, it didn't have mounting holes pre-drilled what, into the what board. What was the cost difference? Oh, maybe a dollar. <laughs> I mean, okay, so locally it was probably $4 and Mauser was probably 5 Uh but the Mauser has um, this Vera board. Uh, the part number is 854-ST2. Uh, it's a 80 millimeters by 100 millimeters, so you can create nearly any simple circuit on something that big. Uh, so I bought three of them, and I'm going to stack both my envelopes and my uh, filter oh, on and, these and boards. Like I'm just going to put uh, standoffs in between all of them and stack that inside of my case. Uh, and then the wires can just exit from there. The rat nest. Oh, it, it, it's absolute rat nest because <laughs> each board probably has 10 wires coming off of it. Uh, and some signal, some power. It's going to be garbage. But regardless, <laughs> uh, I'm really happy with it. It, it looks pretty cool. That's going to be the magic. The secret sauce for the, the synth is all that wire. You know what's going to happen? Vero board is, is very secret sauce because if you look Yo, at we're it. You're use that as the code word, secret sauce. Secret sauce. Okay, that's but, the code word. Yeah, so the... Yeah, it's it, what's going to happen is you're going to get it all together. It's going to sound like just how you want it. Yeah. And then you're going to update your design, Into make a, a new PCB, and it's not going to sound like that. Oh, my God. Okay. <laughs> I cannot tell you how many times that's actually been the case. I've done that and been so frustrated before where this piece of shit 
rat's nest sounds awesome, and then like a highly engineered device sounds terrible. I've had that happen more than once, and I hate it. Yeah, isn't your well, tell tell about your your cardboard. It's like a preamp that you no. can adjust. <laughs> That's made out of cardboard. No, okay, so get this. This okay. is like the best thing I've ever seen in my life, by the way. Oh, it's 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 horrendous, but it's awesome. <laughs> okay, so horrendously uh, awesome. So uh, you know, and a lot of our listeners know that I've done uh, a lot of work with guitar amplifiers, and the thing about guitar amps that that's that's interesting, especially the tube guitar amp world is that the difference between each guitar amp you see out there really isn't a lot there's not a lot of difference between them maybe a few component swaps or component changes here and there um but but not a whole lot so what i did was i ended up getting some perf board not perf board um cardboard uh what's it called cardstock cardstock yeah. like like what you would see an old um in a uh, he, he high took, school science he took a fair box of frosted mini wheats and basically just cut it yeah. open <laughs> so what i did was i cut this big piece of that and on the back side of it i made a generic preamp and it's a preamp where every single component in the entire preamp is variable so if there's a resistor, I put a potentiometer. If there was a capacitor, I put a rotary switch with like 10 or 12 different cap values yeah, on there. It looks like tumors coming yeah. off the back and, of it. And, if, and actually, if the caps are small enough, I put variable caps in there. So basically, it's a preamp where you could change every single value on the fly. And it looks horrendous this thing because i mean it's like it was like cut with scissors and i used a sharpie on the front of it to to draw the schematic yeah of it and it's got like macaroni art on it, it almost <laughs> it, it looks that bad but it sounds awesome this thing sounds incredible like i could never it could never be a product it looks like garbage uh and i guarantee you all the voodoo behind that would go if I turned it into a PCB. It would probably just every setting would sound like crap. Yeah, you know. Well, you, that's what you said is like, there's some settings that sound like amazing, and then you click it one more, and it's just like, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, that, and that's just a thing. Like when it comes to th this is an interesting point on design. Um, uh, engineers have the entire sandbox available to us, right? You know, we could if we design a product, we could allow a user to modify anything, right? But most of the time, design work is less about actually designing a circuit. It's more about restricting what the user can do. So on a guitar amp, you you, you kind of put someone in a box uh, and you're like, this is the sounds you can play with. I'm not going to let you go outside of these boundaries and, and whatnot. But on this preamp I built, I was like, you can do anything you want with this. It just turn knobs... And what that allows for is equally as many wonderful sounding things and absolutely horrendous sounding <laughs> things. And it's fun to play with. So you have we gotta get a picture of that thing. You know, I gotta go resurrect it. It's in a laundry bin in my old shop right now. <laughs> <laughs> I even had it too where I mounted the tube sockets to the cardstock. So you literally have to jam a tube into cardstock in order for this to work. <laughs> I, I need to bring it in. Awesome. So yeah, so I was playing with that, uh, and so the the synth parts are, the, I don't know. I got an email saying they're supposed to be here. I checked my mail yesterday. They're not here. We'll, we'll <laughs> maybe see they'll be here, here when you get home tonight. Maybe, maybe we'll we'll see. Uh, so I'm gonna add just a side note. I'm gonna add a tube preamp to the synthesizer, and oh, this is hoardy, not. Hoardy. 
Well, yeah, a little bit. A little bit. But the good thing about this project is it doesn't require any work because I've already done all the work. Years ago, I built a tube preamp on a single PCB, um, and it only runs on 12 volts. I used a 555 timer, and I created a like a ridiculous step-up uh, switch mode uh, power supply on there. Oh, so 12 geez. volts goes up to 350. Oh, uh, on on a on an Osh Park board, <laughs> on a little Osh Park board, I got 350 volts. Works great. So all I need to do is just plug it into the synth, and I now have a tube preamp on there. So I'll be adding that. Um, and then we should little... we should post a circuit example for that 555 timer voltage. You know, uh, what I would that be I centupler. So no, higher 12 than 12 to 350 That's actually higher than that. a lot higher. <laughs> I thought it was 50. Never mind. That's times 30. Well, something like that. So it's yeah, a lot. It's actually 29.166 repeating, of course. Oh, of course. Yeah, of course. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I, I, I kind of a, a little bit uh, found, lifted that circuit. I found an example of that, and I modified it just a little bit. Um, and works great. Powers the whole thing. So, um, and then the last thing is we finished the Space Echo a few weeks ago. Yes, it's sitting right over there. Which means we accomplished one of the first, if not the first, podcast projects that we've been working on. Uh, So I actually kicked up an old podcast project, which was the new tube amp. Oh, yeah. Uh, So I started building the Tritrix speaker kit from Parts Express. I think that's the name of the place. Uh, So I've got... A, a pair of, of hoity-toity hi-fi speakers that I'm building at the moment to go along with the new tube amp. So that new tube amp, we had we actually never said this idea on the podcast, but we always wanted to do it. So the new tube amp, for those that don't know... I'm pretty sure we talked about it. No, that, not not the amp. This other idea. Oh, oh yeah, you're right. You know the right. idea. So, oh, okay. yeah, so yeah, yeah. the new tube tube, right? I guess, is basically a dip-socketed vacuum tube for those that have... Probably in, not in listen a VFD to, package. Yeah, and, yeah, and a well, a vacuum fluorescent display style package. Right. Yeah. Right. Right. Um, and so we had this idea because this is a really compact tube, basically, Re- and is, it runs on really low power. Too. Yeah, is to basically make a add-on for your phone. Right. So it's like a like a um, uh, a case, I guess. That you slap your phone into, and your phone uh, headphone amp, uh, output goes through a headphone preamp. That's a tube. It's an actual vacuum tube preamp. Yes. For your phone. For your phone. <laughs> um, and then Apple decided to remove the 3.5 millimeter audio jack. Right. Right. So we kind of got <laughs> screwed on that. Project. But Android still supports it. Yeah, so that's right. We'll, we'll make an Android version. Right. So for the for the for the most cork sniffing. Audiophile uh, um, guys out there who would want the purest of tones, which if you're running through this tube, you're not going to get the purest of tones. But regardless, <laughs> if you want to be the guy who carries around a tube on your phone, we were talking about making yeah. that. Actually, what would be really interesting is if we could also combine it with a speaker. Mm. And so your whole phone is like a tube amp box. All powered by the phone. You can do it by the phone or just have an external battery, too. <laughs> it would make the phone so big. Yeah, it doesn't matter. <laughs> yeah. No, but that, I think it'd be super cool. And and we had, we had planned on doing that. Actually, on top of that, the new tubes are actually 
two amplifying elements inside of one, so you could do stereo with a single tube. Yeah, so we need two speakers. Yeah, you're right. You're right. <laughs> Four speakers. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I mean, so I'm, the thing is, I have the board built for the actual new tube amp, which is a hi-fi stereo tube amp. I have the board. I have the transformers. Um, I've, I've got almost everything except for the enclosure. Really, that's this. That's one of the other than this a, a good pair of speakers to plug it into. Um, that's that's all that's left on this. So, I'm building the speakers right now. Uh, the actual enclosures for the speakers have been built. I just got to paint them and finish them. Mm -hmm. And uh, Parker, with his new 3D printer, actually printed out some plates that I found on Thingiverse. Uh, somebody had actually created these plates that hold the crossover components for the speakers on there. Uh, so we printed out a pair of those, uh, and it just basically you glue yeah, all you your hot, components. Hot glue the inductors and capacitors onto right. it and kind of solder them together. It's a, it's it's not, like, amazing or anything like that, but it, it does make the management of the crossover look a lot better than, you know, most people, when it comes to crossovers, they'll just take a piece of MDF and hot glue components to it. But what this does is it kind of manages the inductors. That's really what matters. You want to yeah. make sure the inductors are, you know, 90 degrees out of phase with each other, or um, you'll pick up things. What, what was that term? Um, diaxially aligned. Non-diaxially oh, aligned. Oh, I'm sorry. Non-diaxially aligned. That's yes. right. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. We're, we're so that's get, that's what I've been working on. We're going to get an email from some graybeard saying that's actually a real term or something. <laughs> so we'll go on to the POW or pick of the week. Yep. Uh, so this week we have the Novatone or Novaton. NAU7802, and I found that on the Nice Chips subreddit. That's reddit.com slash r slash nice chips. Mm -hmm. um, so this is the rundown of that chip. It's a precision, low-power, 24-bit ADC, which is, that's, eh, those exist, right? Um, has an onboard low-noise PGA, mm -hmm. eh, normal. Yep. Uh, onboard oscillator. That's cool. Uh, precision Sigma Delta ADC. This is where... It gets interesting. It's capable up to actually 23 bits of ENOB, or effective number of bits performance. Okay, so ENOB. I've got a, I've got a quick story about that. Uh, first job that I, that I worked at, we were doing some um, sensing applications. And uh, on one of the boards that we had, we had a 24-bit uh, A to D. Mm -hmm. And... You know, I'm I'm still kind of fresh to the game here, so I didn't know what enob meant. And my boss is saying, uh, uh, talking like just going on and on about 24-bit ADDs. He's like, "Oh yeah, so this ADD's got uh, 22 enobs," and I was like, "Oh yeah, yeah, that, that that's pretty good. Yeah, that's that's really great." And then luckily, like that ended up being like true. That was actually okay. <laughs> and then like I left that meeting and I ran right back to my deck. I was like, "What is enob?" <laughs> like, and I figured it out. I was like, "Oh geez, that's a." <laughs> That was embarrassing because, like, what if I was wrong in that situation? But, yeah. Yeah. So. so but 23-bit enob is ridiculous. Yeah, so you basically your least significant bit is, you know, just flipping around, not doing anything. Yeah. Um, it, the interesting thing is it comes in most of these, like, really crazy high-performance ADCs come in, like, really fine pitch packages. Yeah. This comes in a SOP 16. Or a DIP 16. Or a DIP 16. <laughs> Can you imagine? I wonder how many bits you lose if you put this in a socket. 
Uh, you will lose some. <laughs> okay, so here's the thing, actually. So what's what's funny about this is, yes, 23 Enob is incredible. That's 23 from the chip. And and just as a little bit further, Enob, effective number of bits, is how low this thing will actually accurately read. Yeah. So, you know, if you got it's 24 really bits... It's really a 23-bit ADC. Right, right. Yeah. You You forfeit the last the 24th bit which tw- uh, the 24th bit on a 5 volt system or even a 3 volt 3.3 volt system is like nanovolts so you don't really care but here's the thing enob is mostly based off of your pcb layout, layout yep. and not the chip itself yeah. i mean the chip in the most perfect situation will get 23 but if your layout's even slightly crappy you'll get like 21 yeah or something like that um and it communicates I square C, which is kind of cool, mm-hmm. um, and it's only two dollars and twenty two cents in signal. So that's insane. Yeah, because twenty four bit A to D's with this kind of stuff, especially the fact that as a PGA, uh, which is a programmable gain amplifier. Yep. Um, and it does all the all of its work on board. Yep. That is awesome. So the gotcha. Uh oh. So to get that precision and all that stuff. 10 samples a second, and you only get one gain, one X gain. When you start gaining it up, you lose the 23 effective bits. Uh, it's like it's like a Greek tragedy. Like, it has all <laughs> this amazing stuff going on, but, like, there's something that just has to, like, kill you yeah. or something like that. You push the boulder up the hill, and then it rolls down or something like that. Uh, but but to be honest, ten samples a second at a PGA of one is not that bad if you're doing something like measuring temperature. Yeah. If you're measuring temperature and you want unbelievable. Accuracy, oh yeah, and it's, it's, it's got, awesome. You know, it's got the built-in uh, sigma delta ADC, so yeah, you can read a thermocouple directly. Yeah. Um. But but take for example, here, go figure. I'm going to talk about an audio example here. But but if you wanted 192 kilohertz sampling. 24-bit sampling, you know, that chip would be $80 for, you know, in singles and things. Yeah. But 222, and there's there's a ton of applications where monitoring 10 times a second is way more than enough. Yeah, temperature and stuff like that. Yeah, there's yeah. stuff that changes slowly or something that, you, like, when you press a button, you need a reading right then. Yep. Uh, that's perfect. Yep. For 222, not bad. I could see a lot of Arduino shields using this. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Especially with it in the SOP 16 package. Yeah, yeah, for right. sure. Uh, so the RFO. Yep. This is one that you found earlier this week. Yep. Um, it's at last or almost a cell phone with no batteries. This on, is crazy. On Hackaday. I don't think it's as crazy as you think, but we'll get into that. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then the second RFO is evaluation boards for USB Type-C power delivery, Electronics Weekly. We talk about USB Type-C a lot on the show. Almost as much as IoT. Well, how crappy IoT and well, is. And we talk positively about USB yes. Type-C and negative about yes. IoT. Um, <laughs> Almost universally. Yep. Yeah. Okay, so the cell phone with no batteries. This is cool. Um, it's researched by the University of Washington. Um, the tagline that they put out is, the first ever battery-free cell phone able to make calls by scavenging ambient power. It's not a cell phone. Right. Yeah, it's a it's a remote handset that talks to a custom receiver. Um, no, 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 it's impressive what it does. Yes, is yes. it scavenges power 
via the radio waves going on and how it <laughs> transmits the your your voice is it it doesn't encode it into a digital signal right yeah it uses the vibrations in some you know beyond a paywall i couldn't go past because i couldn't you know see the actual paper it right this is this is incredibly academic right now it's oh, yeah. worth saying that yeah. uh, and 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 the, this article was incredibly clickbaity really this, this was this was the buzzfeed of hackaday oh yeah for uh, that day, yeah for sure because uh, it's not you're right it's not a cell phone it does not connect to any cells it doesn't no. do anything of that sort uh it and and it's it doesn't work fantastic, but it works. Yes. And and really, what it, I mean, it 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 basically sniffs power out of the air because, you know, radio and and every other whatever that's floating in the air, uh, uh, EM waves, we we just blast a bunch of power out. So this is snagging whatever it can. It yep. charges itself up, and then it has some kind of transmit capability yeah so but it, it does it without actually having a power source correct. that's the cool part. yeah and it's like it runs on the whole system runs on like 3.5 microwatts. yeah and it can transmit to 30 was it 30 ish feet so right and cool. and and the transmit that it does is really distorted and garbled but it's intelligible yeah i mean you can actually decipher it by hearing it and that's impressive uh you know eventually i would i would think that these kinds of things would be more feasible. Yeah. I think it would have been cheaper to take two silo cups and a string and <laughs> string yeah. it up. And yeah. actually it might sound better. But it's too. gotta be electrical to be on Hackaday like the, you know, it for 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 it to be really like that. So it would have to be a <laughs> wire instead of a string in between the solo cups. Oh yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah so okay. that's a cool one. Yeah. Next one is the evaluation boards for USB type C power delivery found on Electronics Weekly. Mm-hmm. So I've been looking for a long time the mythical unicorn of the basically a example of how to do a hundred watts, a is, real twenty volt five amp board. Correct uh, over USB Type C power delivery, and our own uh, announced that they have a dev board that you can buy, an evaluation board for that their will stuff. actually rip a full hundred watts. Yes, nice. Um, they have a whole bunch of stuff that does from 15 to 100. They got like 15 different evaluation boards for all their their junk, basically. <laughs> uh, USB Type C junk. Yeah. Um, uh, the uh, I think it's called yeah BM92A, and then there's a bunch of other numbers that come after it for all the other different all um, the flavors. Yeah, all the flavors that comes in. The one that you want to get is the BM92A21MWV. Dash EVK dash zero zero one because that's the hundred watt one. Uh, you know, right now I still don't know of a good application for that. Um, I know we talked about a soldering iron at one point in time. The fact that you cool. can charge your your cell, your um, laptop off the same port that you can read data out of. Apple really likes that idea. Mm, but Apple probably doesn't like the whole. Uh, generic connector idea. No, they use it in their the latest MacBooks have just one Type C port. No lie, I yeah. didn't know that. Yeah, I would I would totally have expected Apple to make some kind of proprietary crap con con uh, uh, USB Type C connector that's like slightly wider. Well, yeah, it's, uh, <laughs> USB Type C Apple C A or something like that, and it costs you know no Apple fifty C. bucks for just the connector. Apple C Apple C that's what it is. Yeah. 
Um, so I started digging in. Yeah. Because I found this, and I'm like, I want to buy one. Availability now. Pricing TBD. <laughs> I'm like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> y'all can't Good see luck. what I just did. I just threw my paperwork yeah. on the floor. <laughs> pricing. If you need to ask. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. <sighs> so, um, so wait, do if, we need to make our own Type C hundred watt dead board? I, I guess so. Um, you can if you go like check availability on their site for all their distributors. Japan, their Japanese distributors got like twelve in stock of all their stuff. Hmm. So I might try to actually buy one. What is it? What does it take? Uh, you know, uh, I mean, to to actually ask for and get a hundred watts off of over type. So C. we we talked about it. Um, there's that project, the uh, USB PD buddy. Yeah. We probably should go look into that project and get that because you can buy it. Okay. I think he actually we built his stuff too. <laughs> Do we really? There's a plug from Macrofab right there. Oh yeah. <laughs> so uh, go buy some buy his buy buy his stuff. Um, no, I'm gonna go and and <laughs> so see we if can get investigate. One. It. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so I'm probably gonna go and buy one and see because his his platform supports it. An actual like a honest to god hundred watt. No, no, no. Is his is just like talking to the system. Oh, okay. So you can request 100 watts. Gotcha. And so we have to make a well, Wait, doesn't that... TI have some kind of power management chip that does Type-C? Yes. I was actually playing around with it, but I could never get it up to 100 watts. Oh, okay. So. I... I'm going to try to order one from Japan, and we'll see how long it takes to show up. Okay. I can we see... We use the marketing budget, right, for that? No. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, we can't. <laughs> uh. That's pretty great. Now, now you know. Um, so, <laughs> remember we saw this a couple weeks ago. Uh, it was power filtering for PCI Express cards. Yes. Oh, we didn't talk about. We them. did not talk about that. No. But, but I think this is a good situation. Basically, there was some goofy audio whatever uh, oh cards. My God. They were PCI Express cards that were basically. Like the size of a video card, like yep. a large video card, and they were just jam packed with like just capacitors, a, a skyscrapers, cityscape worth of electrolytic capacitors, yeah. and they were just power filtering for the computer, um, and it was supposed to be some kind of like imp- improve your computer's sound. Okay, great, whatever. But for a hundred watt power delivery. That would be awesome. Oh, yeah. If yeah. you could store up all those caps such that if something asked for 100 watts, it got it immediately. That would be really cool. Or blow some stuff up. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. The, the, the PDS, the Power Delivery System. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. And uh, with that. No, the, yeah, the RFO is done now. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> So that was the Macrofab Engineering Podcast. We were your host, Stephen Craig. And Parker Dolman. Take it easy, guys. Later. Later.